G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast talks about domestic violence and death. It contains adult themes and coarse language. If you need help or you are affected by such issues, you can contact your nearest help centre, such as Lifeline on 13 1114 or DV Connect on 1800 811 811. Discretion is advised. I had this episode planned out, but being a real-time podcast, things can change. Recently, someone reached out to me. They were with Jason for over a decade. She messaged me on Facebook, telling me she would like to help. She was sick and tired of being afraid and wanted to speak out about her experience. After listening, I think you'll agree, her story is one that needs to be told. She knew Kira and became friends with her through the local school. Our conversation does jump around a bit, but stay with us. We get there eventually. It's all relevant and important. I know I've warned you at the start of the show, but be aware, this episode is someone telling their story of extreme domestic violence. It mentions sexual, emotional, and physical abuse. It also contains references to suicide, drug use, and has plenty of swearing. Listen at your own discretion. I'm Jamie Paltz, and this has been on Valley Road, episode 9. Watch the world burn. It's Saturday the 21st of September 2019. I'm meeting Katie in a park at the Glasshouse Mountains, which is the very southern end of the Sunshine Coast. It's about 50 minutes drive from my place and a couple of hours drive for Katie. She was coming up for another reason and offered to meet me here. I'm thankful she did, because what she told me certainly provided some context around Kira and Jason's relationship. I parked my car in the car park. Katie and her husband arrived shortly after. Katie is short and slim. Her hair was long and brown with red ends. She's wearing a black Akubra hat and black sunglasses. She has a few bracelets and a stud on her nose. Her husband was also there. He seems like a genuine sort of bloke. Down-to-earth guy. You will hear me beep out Jason's real name, and on a couple of occasions, I'll be beeping out Kira's ex-husband's name as well. Oh, and I didn't get the memo that it was everybody with a motor vehicle drive past this park today, so there'll be a few noises from trucks, cars, bikes. The first 30 seconds or so of this recording was pretty rubbish. 
due to some technical glitches. So I'll summarise the first part for you. Katie introduced herself and then went on to say that she spent 13 years in a domestic violence relationship with Jason. She met Kira at the local school and we'll pick up from here. With the younger ones and stuff, we'd go and have like a mum's group at the primary school yeah. um, just to let the next lot that are getting ready for prep uh, accustomed to the school and things like that because it's like a little yeah it was being a small country town the whole community was like a large family where did you live like she lived on Beenham Valley Road Kira lived on Beenham Valley Road and I was living with his him and his mum and his younger brother at um, Sunshine Road Bulva number 73 Sunshine Road Sunshine Road Um, Is that far from um, Kira's house? Not really. You got Sunshine Road was on one hill, Beanham Valley was on the next, pretty much. Uh, Yeah. Um, No, not really. Where did you guys meet? On the Gold Coast. I used to babysit six kids from Thursday night to Sunday night. And the eldest um, was a little bit of a terror. He used to go and smoke bongs and shit like that. And he and his younger brother one day down at the park and he brought his brother Bobby home one day. And I was sitting there in my school uniform doing, um, I think it was a biology assessment and um, I used to smoke cigarettes back then and all the rest of it. And um, I had a packet sitting on the table. I had all the younger ones asleep. And I was sitting there doing my assessment and they've gone into the garage to go smoke bombs and shit like that. And then the second eldest come out, the second eldest of one of the kids I was babysitting he must have, she was in the lounge room watching TV, so must have given her a note. She's given me the note, and on it it had, write something back. So in big, bold letters I just said, what? So she's taken that back to him, and then he must have built up the courage to come out and ask for a cigarette, and I'm like... I've only got one and a half, and you're not having my fucking full one because that's for me. Um, you want smokes, here's some money, go for a fucking ride. Um, and yeah, then he asked for my number. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to give you my number. And all the rest of it, he goes, oh, guilt trip. He goes, oh, you don't want to give me your number because I've got acne on my face and all the rest of it and it's like that it's like no it's not like that at all it's just I've just come out of a serious relationship and quite frankly I don't want to get in another relationship I was in grade 12 I want to focus on finishing grade 12 I'm studying to be a teacher and all the rest of it and it's like I'm not looking for a serious relationship I don't want a serious relationship at this point in time I need to focus on myself how old was he 18 did he finish school? Fuck no. He didn't even finish fucking grade nine. He got kicked out. It just, yeah. 
Um, yeah, he was 18 at the time. I was 16. Yeah. I reluctantly gave him my number and it just escalated from there sort of thing. Um, he wouldn't take no for an answer. Kept asking me out, kept asking me out, kept asking me out. I said, no, 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 fuck no, no. And he just just wouldn't take fucking no for an answer. And But back then I had a friend and she was just, she was persistent as well. So it was a lot of, you know, typical fucking stupid high school, primary school bullshit, back and forth between, you know, there's you and then the boy that likes you and your friend is relaying messages between you and all the rest of it. It's like, fucking hell, just why can you not take the hint that I don't fucking want a relationship? Then it all sort of, uh, I sort of gave in. It's like, oh, seems keen and all the rest of it, so why not? Just give him a go and all the rest of it. And it was turbulent from then on. Literally, it was straight up turbulent. He just control freak. I used to go... So he was violent from that point? Uh, within two weeks, he was smacking me around in my own house. I was on the fucking toilet. He's barged through the door and slapped me while I was sitting there and accused me of something. I can't fucking even remember what the fuck it was. He accused me of something and I'm like, fucking hell no. Not like that. I'm not that type of person. And, and your parents were there or your family was there? I, dad, my dad was a single parent. So it was me, my dad and my two younger brothers. And it, it was perfect like that. It worked like that. Now, my dad worked, he'd come home, you know, each week he'd give me the funds to, you know, pay the rent, electricity and phone and food. And, you know, at the end of one school day, that's what I'd do. And then, yeah, he'd come along and all hell broke loose, pretty much. It's just, yeah. So you've obviously listened to the podcast. Is how they met accurate, like what, what I've been told? Um, most probably, yeah, um, because I first met Kira through the school and then, um, I think her husband couldn't really do much more work because he had an injury, he had a back injury or something like that, so Kira got a job at the farm, uh, the chicken and turkey farm, which is run by, which was run by Richard and Anita Glover back then. Um, Were you guys all friends, like the the four of you, or? Uh, I didn't speak to him. He was very kept to himself, sort of. Kira's husband. Yeah, he was very keep to himself, sort of thing, and um, yeah, they probably would have met at the chicken and turkey farm, and that's probably where. Shit sort of all started to come to a head, um, and that would have been around March of 2013, okay. where the shit sort of hit the fan a bit more because. Did she tell you that she was gonna shack up with him or hook up with him or feeling for him or anything? No, no. They seemed to have like we become closer, Kira and I. Um, on her days off or whatnot, um, 
because being that far out of town, you know, you can only go shopping every once a week or once a fortnight. So I was never allowed to go shopping by myself. I I didn't have my learners or anything like that. He was a control freak. You were not allowed to live your own life. You had to revolve around him. Anything and everything was at his women woe. If he didn't get his way, oh, my God, he chucked a fucking two-year-old tantrum and beat the living shit out of you if he didn't get what he wanted. Um, so I used to have to go shopping with his mum and if we were ever taking too long, I'd literally get a phone call like every half hour or a message, what the fuck's taking you so long? And, yeah, just the shit I used to get called. It's fucking bullshit. But, um, you know, Kira and I started getting closer and she was really the only person I was allowed to have as a friend then. So I didn't think much of it. And then one night we were at their place and he was sitting between us and he was rubbing her feet and they were laughing about something. And it's like, you know that gut feeling you get when, um, yeah, they're in the bag. You know that gut feeling you get when you think something's just not right? Something's just, you, you get that feeling. You just fucking know something's not right. That's the feeling I got, and I'm like, you two have a fucking secret between you, and I know exactly what it is because it's not the first time he's done it. Mm. It's not the first time. Yeah. He's, yeah. How... I said it to my husband the other day. I said, how do you not paint a monster like a monster? Yeah. It's a bit difficult because you don't want to... You know, give the listeners a biased opinion and things like that but it's a bit difficult to not paint a monster like a monster when that is exactly what it is he's the epitome of a sociopathic psychopathic narcissist he is a manipulator he is a user he's an abuser he will do anything to get his fucking way he has his family wrapped around his little finger they think the sun shines out of his fucking ass it's no no I'm not fucking... I'm far from fucking perfect. I defended myself quite a few times. Yes, I will admit, I stabbed the prick because I feared for my life. I tried to take my life for the first two years before I had my eldest, and then I had something to fight for, so I fought back. And it was that way ever since until he decided to jump ship Mind you, I tried leaving six t- six or so times. So when you found that secret between them, what happened that, like after that? Like how did that? Uh, a massive argument escalated between myself and him. Um, I just wanted to get home. I just wanted the kids. I just wanted to take the kids home. Um, eventually, that happened. We get back home, and he just keeps at me and at me and at me and barraging me and all the rest of it. He freaking punched me in the head because he couldn't find a lighter and all the rest of it and freaking screaming and yelling at me to find him a lighter. And so I fucking found him a lighter eventually. Fucking threw it at him. Told him, there you go, you fucking dog cunt and all the rest of it. As I said, I'm no fucking saint. And um, I needed to go to the bathroom really bad. So I went into the bathroom and... I was going to the toilet and stuff like that, and he's still at me and at me and at me and at me and at me. And then, and then, 
He was blocking me from getting out of the doorway, getting out of the door. I hate being stuck in a confined place. I hate being trapped. I hate being just stuck. I get very claustrophobic. I start shaking and I start hyperventilating and all the rest of it. He wouldn't get out of my way. So I grabbed the first thing that was there and it was a porcelain or a ceramic fucking toothbrush holder or something or other. Pegged it at him, but I didn't peg it at him, at the wall. So he'd just fucking scare him and move, which... It hit the shed wall. He fucking lunged at me, had me on the ground, smacking my head into the concrete. He was choking me out. I was on the verge of fucking losing consciousness and he just, I couldn't release his grip or anything like that. I couldn't get my legs up underneath him to push him off me. And um, I was just grabbing for the closest thing around. It was a piece of fucking strike toothbrush holder and I stabbed him in the side of the neck. Did he get off you then? Yeah, he got off me then and goes running out and fucking screaming up to his mum, the fucking bitch stabbed me again, the fucking bitch stabbed me again, going off his fucking nut at me and all the rest of it and it's just like, yeah. Did the police come or the ambulance for that uh, one? Or? Yeah, I called the police for that one. I called them and said, look, I've just stabbed him in the throat and all the rest of it and I was in a bit of a state because we were having drinks at Kira's that night. Mm. Uh, I think that was... June. It have been around June, July of 2013. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, probably would have been around then. Okay. Because... Yeah, you've bought like a couple of diaries there where you've kept a bit of a yeah. timeline. And... If I just look through this one instead, because this one will let us know when we got... So that's a nine-page summary of... Uh, 12 to 13. 12 to 13-page summary of a very brief version of what you went very, through. Very, freaking brief. On the 1st of August, he comes screaming in the shed that we I tried to make as homely as possible. Screaming and going off his nut. It's over. I've had enough of all the arguing, the screaming, the fighting, rah, 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 all the rest of the fucking bullshit. And that was the 1st of August, 2013. And I was just like, fine, I don't, you know, don't really give a shit. Um, I think I got paid on the 7th of August. I went and got him some clothes because he, he was back and forth between Kira's and the shed. I got him some clothes because he needed new clothes. His clothes were fucking getting shabby and scrabby. And he's fucking gone off his nut at me and thrown them back at me. And all the rest of it. It's like, fucking hell, I can't do anything right by this dumb cunt. But yeah. Yeah, it would have been about June, June, July, because he had the white V-dub polo. Okay, that was his car then? <laughs> I was supposed to replace the car he kept, he swapped out from underneath me for a piece of shit fucking motorbike that was in pieces that looked like it had been dragged out of the bottom of a waterhole. You, throw, you give him those clothes, he has a hissy fit about that, and then you said you escaped, you escaped. Go into that, like, as much as you want to share. How did that... Okay. Um, Did he make the call or was it like a... Yeah. Well, mind you, I wanted out. I was done ages ago. Yeah. I was only there for the sake of the kids because constantly, every time I got out, all I'd cop was nothing but verbal abuse from his 
mum and older sister saying he deserves to see his kids, he deserves to be around his kids, the kids deserve to have their father in their life and all this bullshit and it's like, okay, yeah, I get what you're trying to say but he's not changing. He's an alcoholic, drug-addicted scumbag that doesn't want to fucking change. His everything, every time there's money, it goes to him. The kids, the entire time I was with him, there were moments... There were days the kids would go without food. They would literally live off of a loaf of bread for three days. I'd have to make shortbread cookies out of fucking sugar, milk and plain flour if I could. Back. You know, it's just... It was because he would spend the money on oh, yeah. drugs? Yeah. And would, they, would the kids say they were hungry and you just had to... Because we were living with his mum, she would, you know make sure she can make enough dinner here and there a couple of times and stuff like that and you know it's just yeah that would have been horrible for you like your kids you had to watch them it was beyond a fucking joke really because I kept no matter what I was trying to make sure he was fucking happy all the time but I was also trying to make a future for my children and make sure they were always fed make sure they were always able to go to school all school excursions, all photos, everything like that, and no, it was never possible. Like I, as I said, I'm no fucking saint. I self-medicated smoking as well, so a lot of the time, a lot of the arguments would start because he'd either have no pot or no alcohol, or he would, no matter what, he was fucking aggressive. If he had pot, he was aggressive. If he didn't have pot, he was aggressive. If he had both pot and alcohol, he was aggressive. If he didn't have both pot and alcohol, he was aggressive. Just, you know how you get those people that just want to watch the world burn? He's one of them. Yeah. And the thing is, he's a mastermind manipulator. He likes mind games. He will fuck with your head something savage. You will sit there and question your sanity. You will sit there and question, did I really do that? Did that really happen? I used to get accused of fucking sneaking out at fucking night time and I'm like, but I go to bed when you go to bed. I don't get up to even go to the fucking toilet because I'll get my head smacked in the next morning. So how the fuck can I be sneaking out at night? What the fuck? Am I doing something in my sleep or? So you would start doubting your own version of what happened? Oh yeah, many times. I thought I was fucking crazy. Back then, quite a few people probably did think I was crazy. Heard a rumour going around the fucking town that... And this was when I was living in Gympie. Heard a rumour going around the town I was the psycho bitch of King Street. Nothing unusual. I was going off my head nearly every fucking day. I moved there. I got a private rental for me and my children. He took it upon himself to move in didn't want him to move in. He was supposed to stay out at Wolvi with his mum and help her, because that's the lie I got spun. So you, you tried to get out of that relationship, but he... Oh, I tried to get out many times. I tried to get out when my eldest was one. I tried to get out when I was... When he was one. Tried to get out again... Probably about... Six months... Six to nine months later, found out I was pregnant with my second son. It's like, oh, fuck. 
got spun the typical lies. Oh, I'll change, I'll stop drinking, I'll stop doing this, I'll stop it all, I'll get a job. Yeah, bullshit. Tried to get out again when it was just me and my two boys. Um, twice I tried to get out at that point. Got out again in between that time as well. And when my daughter was one, we got out again. Um, I escaped again in 2011 and 2012. See, the timelines will be extremely turbulent because everything was full on. Yeah. It was and you've, just full on. And you've got a copy here for... For yourself and Alison, yeah. Oh, she thank wants you. a copy. But the unfortunate thing is this is more of a brief... literally just a skim of the iceberg of what I went through and then when he met Kira yep. and see there there was a rela- it was a relationship so their relationship was actually looking back on it now it was quite turbulent mm. um it started turbulent, just like mine did with him. He he found something that he wanted and he wanted to control her. That's, that's how he works. He will find someone he wants. He will manipulate you into thinking he's the victim. And you'll, he'll manipulate you into you thinking that you can help him, you want to help him. But how do you help someone that doesn't want to help themselves? Yeah, you can't. Exactly. And he doesn't, that, that's how he's so good at manipulating. He doesn't want you to help him. He wants to drag you down. He wants to beat you down. He wants to make you feel worthless and make you want to try and depend on him, but you don't want to, you want to be an individual still. And he'll try and break that within you. And, yeah, it's... Was it ever good between you guys? <laughs> um, oh, there probably were. But, to be honest, the shit, the bullshit just extremely outweighs whatever was good. I honestly, oh yeah, there's probably snippets of good times, but it was all an act for him. He's a fucking master actor. It's just, the good times weren't actually good times. It was just him weaseling his way back in to manipulate and control and basically have a meal ticket. That's all the kids and I were to him because a weekly income, a weekly income thanks to Centrelink pretty much and he doesn't have to worry about anything he could never hold a job for any longer than six months he was lucky to hold a job for even that long he, ne- he never wanted to work, he just wanted to be looked after so when I did escape I did get into a dark 
very, very dark headspace. I contemplated suicide many times and all the rest of it. I uh, became very reclusive, did not... I was actually afraid to leave the house. I still have moments like that. Did you move straight away or did you stay in the Gympie area? Um, so from August to the September school holidays, I was still stuck at Wolvi at his mum's place while he was over at um, Kira's. He would come back and forth. And he would come back and forth. He'd come back every day after the kids have jumped on the school bus and he would just scream, yell, parade me with bullshit and all the rest of it. And it's just like, yeah. So he goes over there at night time. Yeah, he'd having a relationship with Kira, yeah, and yeah. then coming back to you and abusing you yeah. at, at his mother's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty awkward situation for you. <laughs> he wanted his whole cake and to eat it too. He wanted to go and have a relationship and live with Kira, but he still wanted me and the kids to live there with his mum. I had no transport, no way of getting out or finding a job or anything like that, or you know, moving forward for myself and my children. His mum didn't help you out. She did. She did. I think she felt obligated to, sort of. Like, because I tried to help financially wherever I could with for her because, you know, she couldn't really do much work or anything either. I, don't, I think it's more the fact she doesn't want to acknowledge he is that. You can't say it any other way but fucking plain out blatant fucking evil. That's that's what he is. He's just fucking evil. If the devil had spawn, he'd be one of them. Plain and simple. And I'm not putting a biased opinion... I'm not trying to put a biased opinion in anyone's fucking eyes or anything like that, but... He is the epitome of a Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. If he was here to talk to you, you'd think he's straight up top bloke. Getting behind closed doors, completely different fucking person. Completely different fucking person. He's just, he is a mastermind manipulator. And you mentioned to me earlier in a couple of text messages that you tried to warn Kira. Yeah, I did. How did that play out? Like, obviously their relationship sparked. Um, And then did you have conversations with her or how did that? She would call me. Um, When I escaped... I gave him strict conditions because I was going to try and do everything the right way through mediation and all the rest of it because, you know, it was drummed into my head by his family. He deserves to see his kids, even though he doesn't believe they're his kids. The kids deserve to have their father in their life. Yeah, no, they deserve to have a father figure that is going to show them how to be a proper person, not a drug-fucked alcoholic. Um, so I was still trying to make sure I did the right thing and all the rest of it. So he was told he could call between 6 and 7.30 every night, speak to the kids, all the rest of it. A couple of times Kira would grab the phone off him and just want to talk. So I would talk to her, ask her how she is. She said she was fine. And all the rest of it. And it's like, is he... I, I straight out fucking asked her one night. 
one day. I remember it was a Tuesday evening because I was getting fish and chips from the local fish and chip shop for the kids for dinner. And I said to her, I said, is he hitting you? She must have went and hid in the bathroom because I couldn't hear him, couldn't hear anybody else. And she goes, yes. I said, for fuck's sake, do something about it. Get a DVO on him or kick him out, get him away. She goes, but I love him. He didn't mean it and this and that. It's like, no, he tried all that shit with me. You don't understand. I tried telling her before I escaped, you cannot change him. Before I escaped, I said to her, I said, you're not going to be able to change him. She goes, I will. He, he's different with me. I'm like, it's not. No, darling, he's not different with you. He's. And she just. I think he manipulated her to think she was in love with him. Because I sit back now and I think I was never fucking actually in love with him. I just fucking felt sorry for him. He's not capable of love. A person like that is not capable of love. He doesn't know what love is. He's just... Mm. It's difficult not to say so many hateful things about him. But that's all there is. It's... Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Do you know that phone call that happened where she admitted to him hitting her? Do you know roughly the timeline, like when, when that might have been? Would have been in this time, around here, early January. It, it would have been in January that I asked her. January 2014. January of 2014. It would have been when I asked her because in this phone call here of January 14, when he called... I asked him straight out and he fucking denied it. And I know full well he's a fucking lying piece of shit. He... Okay, so from the 1st of August... 2013. 2013 to the 22nd of September 2013 was in between that time period... Kira had her husband removed from the house via a DV order because she um, said said to me he had he had um, hurt her physically and she's like how do I get a DV order on him for hurting me so he doesn't do it again so I helped her with that and I didn't realise until this all exploded to going and staying with her it must have been some he must have manipulated Kira to some extent I think my theory is her husband clued on something was going on between the two of them he's confronted her about it she wouldn't say I'd say she wasn't saying anything. Her husband may have, you know, grabbed her or something or other and then this is this would have 
created the catalyst for her to get the DV order, remove the husband, him to move in. So I didn't realise until, you know, it was at that point where he come to me and said, Kiri's scared of being home alone, so I'm going to go and stay there the night. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And then that was like, oh, shit. Were you together at this point or was this after him? Um... Oh, fuck. I honestly don't fucking know. Yeah, right. Um, He was just all over the show. Every week he was telling me to fuck off, get out. And it's like, well, you won't let me get my learners. You swapped my fucking car out from underneath me. Every time I have tried to fucking escape, you weasel your way back in. How the fuck am I supposed to get the fuck out of here? You know, any scent I get goes to you and your mum. That's just, what the fuck? (laughs) So, you know, and I was just, yeah. And then it all sort of, you know, came to a catalyst at that point. And then, because he was every night at Kira's, every day coming back and rah, rah, Um, On my payday, on my paydays, um, his mum and I would go into town. Uh, she'd pay the bills she needed. I'd get food for the kids. Oh, my God, the feeling to buy a fucking $250 shop, come home, pack it all the way in the cupboards and the pantry and the fridge and the freezer. And then that afternoon, the kids come home, they've opened up the cupboards, and they're just like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, Mum, what can we eat? And I'm like, go for gold. Eat whatever the fuck you want. And they're just like... Oh, cool! <laughs> it was, it was the, it was the best. Best thing was him fucking walking out. But it's amazing, like hearing that. You know, for us, we take those little things for granted. You know, like mm. just having food and food in the cupboard for your kids, and mm. you describing that being the best feeling just really hits home. Oh yeah, no, it was a big thing because um, they're only. They were only 10, 8 and 5 at the time. So, you know, my oldest lives through the entire thing. And how old are you now? Fuck, (laughs) I'm 35 now. (laughs) So he would be 37? 8. 38. Um, he's 81. Okay. Oh, fuck, I hate remembering that date. Um, yeah, so he, he will be 38. Um, yeah. When was the last time you spoke to Kira? I can't actually remember properly. The last time I spoke to her, I do remember. We told each other we love it, love each other. It's like, and she was. She was a lovely freaking person. I miss her to pieces. It, she was. She was like my sis from another miss. Uh, yes, it was a 
turbulent friendship, but she was just... She was such a happy, loving person. She was caring to everybody. She loved everybody. I think... I remember her taking antidepressants, but I don't think they were the right fucking ones for her because she felt like she needed them. You shouldn't feel like that with antidepressants or anything like that. But also looking back on it now and hearing the um, the things that happened with Sean and then the turbulence of her and I think due to yeah. Due to her husband's injury, um, she was craving attention, I think, and she wasn't getting it. She was so she veered elsewhere, unfortunately. And I, mm. It's it's heartbreaking. She's such a beautiful person. Was the last time you saw or spoke to Kira the same time, the last time you spoke to Yeah, I think so. Um, do you recall a conversation with told me of an incident where he had been drunk and had taken his medication and went off at Kira's neighbours, banging on their front door, and then he had also physically hit and hurt Kira and the police had been called. Cannot remember where that comes in. It'd probably be around the end of February that probably comes in. So it was, for, it was a few months before she passed, I guess, that you spoke to her? Yeah, because I I was going downhill very quick with the constant phone calls and things like that. At one point, I had approximately 23, oh, uh, maybe more, February 13th. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Sixty-five missed phone calls. On February thirteenth. On February thirteenth of twenty fourteen. And it was at that point where I just thought, this has got to fucking stop. I'm losing sleep. I'm losing appetite. I'm not. And at this point, it's already been months since you've escaped quote-unquote, from... Yeah. And he's still calling you like this? Oh, yeah. Are you still at Jane's house at this point? No, I escaped... Uh, the kids and I escaped... September holidays. The first weekend of the September holidays in 2013. Do you want to go into that, or...? So... The kids and I... After he walked out... The kids and I were still stuck there at the property on Sunshine Road. So I... I made an escape plan. Was not going to be his little fucking meal ticket anymore. I was not going to be there so he could use Kira and use me. And, you know, try and pitch us against each other and shit like that was not going to let that fucking happen. 
So I made an escape plan. First thing I did was I went for my learners because I, li- I literally turned around to myself and said, you know what, he does not fucking control me. I am my own person. I am not a fucking possession. He does not control me. I can, go- I can move on with my life. So the first thing I did was I went for my learners, passed straight away. Um, Jane and I, uh, his mum and I would go each week into town and through the papers and on Facebook I would look up um, cheap cars in the area so I could escape. Yeah, I know I was only on my own learners. (laughs) That's not the first time I've done it. I actually, I actually, back in 2011, I actually fully packed one of my four-wheel drives that I had I had no diesel, fuel light was on the whole way, had no license, no rego, no number plates, and I drove all the way from Woolvoy to Harvey Bay through roadworks with police officers. <laughs> I was escaping. I had to do what I had to do. He was accusing me of getting, he was accusing me of sneaking out at night and going and sleeping with his brother and one of his friends, his younger brother, Nakoda. He was about 16, 17 at the time. And I think like, Nakoda said that to me. Yeah, I, he, anybody and everybody, any male on the scene, he would accuse me of sleeping with. When we first got together, he actually accused me of sleeping with his brother Bobby because he found an old diary of Bobby's, I think, that had shit written in it about me apparently or some shit, like something Bobby had written, like, I can't wait to go and see Katie, not so much more Katie, rah, rah, some shit like that, and I'm just like... I don't fucking know about any of this. Why are you fucking taking it out on me? And quite frankly, you shouldn't be taking it out on your brother either because, you know, it's something private. You shouldn't be fucking snooping through his shit. And um, so, yeah, he accused me of doing shit with Bobby. Any one of his mum's boyfriends, and she had quite a few, he would accuse me of doing shit with as well because whenever we didn't have money... For whatever he wanted, alcohol, pot, whatever, smokes. He would cause an argument between him and myself because he didn't want to go and ask his mum or his mum's boyfriends or anything like that. He'd make me go and do it. So I'd go and ask. I'd get him the money. And then he'd accuse me of fucking doing shit for them to get the money. It's like, fuck no. Okay. So I've been mentally, emotionally and physically beaten down to a fucking pulp to feel like I'm nothing but a worthless piece of shit, try and do anything everything I can to make you happy and you're still doing this to me. So... You couldn't win. No matter what I fucking did, I couldn't fucking win. Even if I fucking... I know I tried to take my own life many times. Even if I fucking took my own life, it'd be my fault too. But yeah. You're obviously in a much better place now, uh, though. <laughs> I am. I'm happy, which is a good thing. It's yeah. I am in a much better place, moving on with my life. The kids are moving on with their lives. Yes, the trauma is still there, no matter fucking what. I suffer extreme PTSD, um, social anxiety, extreme depression, and agoraphobia mildly. But I. 
I am physically, mentally and emotionally exhausted and tired every single fucking day because it is a battle within myself every single fucking day to tell myself just get the fuck up and keep going. Why? Well, I've got to prove to my children that you can turn your life around. Yes, we went through hell, but look at what we've got now, you know. There's that much food in the house all the time. They're all they're just constantly like, but I don't want to eat that. But I don't want to eat that. Mum, what is there to eat? The cupboard's full. Yeah, I know, but it's not what I want. Are you kidding me? So you found a cheap car? No, I didn't actually get to find a cheap car. No? No. I swallowed my pride something fucking fierce and got back in contact with some old friends. Um, in August of 2013 I messaged one of my really good friends one of my really good childhood friends and asked her I said um, long story short I need to get the fuck out of where I am can you help me she's like I'm all the way over in England at the moment I'm like oh no um, and then I found an old message from him. Katie is pointing to her now husband, who is standing in the playground as their child plays. He's actually my high school sweetheart. Um, my stepmom actually made me break up with him because she felt I was too much. I was too much. I was too boisterous. I was too loud. I was too energetic. I was just, I was just too much. That's just me. I was just me. And, um, we lost contact and all the rest of it. And then back in 2011, when I escaped to Harvey Bay, I was like, you know what? Fuck you. You don't control my life and all the rest of it. So I joined Facebook and I got in contact with some old friends and all the rest of it. And I contacted my now husband and we sent each other a couple of messages. He asked me how it was and all the rest of it, said just escaped all this and all the rest of it. And he's like, oh, wow. Then weaseled his way back in and took over everything as, as he does. And he got on my Facebook and um, he messaged my husband and said, he messaged him and told him to fuck off. I never saw that message. I never knew he actually did that. I thought my now husband just thought, oh, okay, well, she's... We always thought, I thought he had the shits with me. He thought I had the shits with him. Never the case. It was never the fucking case. So in August of 2013, I messaged him back because I found that message in my Facebook messages. And I'm like, I didn't write that. I didn't tell you to fuck off and all the rest of it. So I messaged him and said, oh, fucking lovely. Long story short, I need to get the fuck out of where I am. I never sent that message to you and all the rest of it. He goes, and this was like late at night. He was, um, the job he was working then was... Um, night shift so he was awake he's messaged me back and he goes oh my god it's been that long and all the rest of it and goes yeah 
sort of figured it wasn't from you. So I just sort of left it. And it's like, ah, okay. And I seriously swallowed my pride and just poured it all out there and said, look, I need to escape where I am, going through all this bullshit right now and all the rest of it. Um, What I'm doing, my plan is I'll let the kids finish the school term off, which, so, it doesn't look like I'm planning anything really. Looks like he's getting his way. And I'm hoping to get out by the holidays and all the rest of it. Just gone for me learners. Can't exactly find a car and all the rest of it. But, yeah, so, and from that message on, we've, we were contacting everybody, not everybody, we were contacting each other daily because um, I couldn't sleep. I was fucking terrified. We were living in a shed, which he destroyed the door. It wouldn't close or lock properly, so I actually had to tie the door shut. Is this still on Sunshine Road? Yeah, yeah that's still Road? on Sun- Sunshine Road. Sunshine Road. Yep. I was literally living off of a packet of 40 cigarettes a day and I was going through a 500 gram tin of coffee every three days. Because I just, I was too afraid to sleep. I couldn't fucking sleep. I didn't sleep for five fucking weeks. People stare at me like, what the fuck were you on? I'm like, I wasn't on anything. I just couldn't fucking sleep. I was afraid for my life. Every time I closed my eyes, all I saw was fucking darkness. All I saw was he was going to fucking kill me. If I slept, if he had the fucking chance, he would have. Bid my time. Kids went to school. I was cleaning up the shed, trying to get it as clean as possible. To get all, trying to minimise mine and the kids' shit as much as possible so that all, all we had was just the clothes on our back, handful of toys for them and just the necessities really, just the necessities. And then we'd made a plan. He'd come that weekend around lunchtime. Mum actually helped me with her dual cab ute. She helped me get to the meeting point because he went and bought a car the night before. After a 12 hour shift, he drove 600Ks to go and pick up a car, take it back home, have a couple of hours sleep, drive to a meeting point in Gympie and get me and the kids out. So mum actually helped with that? She helped me. I packed the ute. I was actually getting messages from the day we were leaving asking if he could have the kids that weekend. I turned around and said, no, because you've already had them every weekend, at which he did. The kids went to him and Kira every... The bus driver knew us all. So every Friday afternoon, my kids would take the bus to Kira's place instead of being dropped at Sunshine Road. And that went on for about five weeks, yeah, five weekends. And so it didn't look or seem suspicious or anything like that. I just said, no, you're not having them this weekend. You've had them every weekend since. This is my weekend, please. You know, because, yeah. And that's when we escaped. And the kids and I haven't looked back since, really. 
So Paul and Kira's relationship really started off quite turbulent. And quite honestly, I think that's how all of his relationships would start off. You know, he'd weasel his way in, get a hold of you, that's it. He'd beat you down. Had he ever threatened to kill you? Many times. All the fucking time. Threatened to kill me, threatened to kill my family. Um, at the start of the relationship, because I was living at home with my dad and my two brothers, he was actually living with his sister and her family and his little brother Bobby. She was moving and she told him, you can't move with me. He's like, that's fine, I'll just sleep in my car. Guilt trip, massive fucking guilt trip. No, you can't do that, you can't do that. Um, and said, no, I'll just live out of my car. That stage you had a fucking piece of shit bomb red Corolla. And I said, no, you can't do that. You can stay at my place as long as you find your own place. No. No. Would not even fucking try to find his own place. I'd come home and him and his mates are all sitting in my fucking lounge room. Because I was still going to school. I was still in fucking high school at that stage. I was trying to finish grade 12. And then apparently he had mates fucking follow me to school, watch me at school and all the rest of it, and apparently they'd come back and tell him that I was doing shit in the fucking toilets and stuff like that with my male friends. It's like, fuck no! And what would your brothers think of this? Do they see any of it? Oh, yeah, my brothers have witnessed quite a bit of it. They were only young at the time. They tried to stand up to him a couple of times, but they were only small at the time, so... Whereas now if they saw him... (laughs) They'd probably get done for premeditated murder. Whoops. I sort of tried to hide it quite a bit from Dad. He really wasn't... He did not approve of one fucking bit. He did not like him one bit. He didn't want him in the house. Nothing. But I was naive. Young and naive. So he didn't know what was going on, really? Not really, no. I think he may have had a bit of an inkling, but... Yeah. No. He didn't really... He didn't really know what was going on. So there's a few things that, just to finish up here, there's a few questions that I had. Yep. So before you mentioned, before we press record, you mentioned that a few things that Tamika and stuff have said on the podcast, like the sugar pill. Yeah. What What do you make of, so far, what I've been told and presented on the podcast? Like, what do you think okay. is the truth and what do you think is not? Because while I was listening to it, I wrote down a couple of notes myself. <laughs> I remember you saying he come with he come with baggage into the relationship with Kira. No, no, he did not come with baggage. He is baggage. He is baggage. Um. So in relation to the sugar pill, that's a load of bullshit. There is no fucking way. There's no way in fucking hell Tamika would have been able to spin that shit to her brother. He is the biggest fucking drug addict I know of. It's bullshit. Full-blown bullshit. And then to hear the two sides, the two neighbours, and they reckon there was no gathering. My theory is he's fucked up severely. He's panicked. He's called his mum. She's told him to leave. So he has. And then they've gone back together the next morning 
and found Kira in the state she was in. And his... Evelyn said. Evelyn said, yeah. Evelyn said that it looks like about 8 o'clock in the morning, it looks like a man and a woman got out of the car and walked up to the stairs, stayed for a time and then left. Yes. You heard Damo say that he heard yeah. phone calls saying, yep. I fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. He is... Every time he fucked up, he ran to his mother. He ran to his mother. So what do you think happened to Kira? I believe he fucking killed her. I fucking know it in my bones. He fucking killed her. And this is what I was afraid of. That's why I sit there and I... <laughs> it hurts. I tried fucking warning her so much. You can't fucking change him. And she tried and I fucking warned her. You can't change him. For 13 fucking years I tried changing that piece of shit. Tried helping that piece of shit. He didn't want to change. He wouldn't change for his kids. He didn't believe they were his fucking kids anyway, so he has no fucking rights. Just because he's a biological fucking parent does not give him the fucking entitlement of the children. He can fuck off. He's nothing but a fucking drug-fucked piece of shit. He would have manipulated her to the point... And the thing is, Kira's a strong girl. She's strong. Mentally, emotionally, physically. She's strong. And he would have tried so much to beat her down. But as Alison said, she was on the phone to and said, look, we can get back together and all the rest of it. I think she realised what I told her. I think she realised. She said, he's nothing but a fucking joke. So that phone call that he, Damo, heard yeah. Kira say, I don't love you anymore. Yeah. Do you think that has sparked I think the argument? She, I think, yeah. I think she realised that she didn't, she didn't love him. He had manipulated her. He played her for a fucking fool. And that's what he does. He ropes you in, tells you what you think you want to hear. Nah. Okay. So he took over Kira's house. Yeah. And that's pretty That's pretty much what Evelyn's um, stated as well, which is true. He would have. He just walks in like he owns everything. And a lot of her husband's stuff, he just helped himself to as well. He would have. That's just the type of person he is. Yeah. What's yours is his and what's his is his as well. The dog would have most probably been Rudy. I do recall Kira being on antidepressants and I don't think they were the ones she should have been on. I was going to ask you about that. Do you think she would have made that call saying I'm going to take all my tablets and... That doesn't... To me, that does not seem like something Kira would do. It does not sound like something Kira would do. The story, the alibi that you've been given by them is what his dad called me up and told me as well. So that's how you found out, isn't it? Yeah, his dad called me and told me. And when was that? Saturday the 19th of July at 11.59. 19th of July. So 2014 at 11.59. I was actually out the back hanging out the washing. I was actually out the back hanging out the washing and um, I didn't believe it at first. I was in fucking absolute shock. And what was the version that he gave you? What you've been told by Tamika. Like that, he, that she overdosed? But what I recall him telling me, but mind you, I wrote this about two, two weeks to a month after because I was just in that much of a state. I was in tears nearly every fucking day and the kids were asking me if they'd done something wrong. I was like, no, you just haven't done anything wrong. So he told me what he was told by about the events that had happened on Wednesday night, 16th of July 2014, to Thursday afternoon, 17th of July 2014. His dad told me that his younger brother 
and his younger sister were present at Kira's property and they were all having drinks and a party. Left the house, went down to the shed for something. I cannot recall, vaguely, I can recall, I think he did say something about their niece being there. So what his dad is telling me is that left the house, went down to the shed for something while was at the shed. To make it come down to the shed where was and had said to I'm going to bash your girlfriend because she threw something at me. Something along the lines of you better keep your bitch on a leash or something like that as well. Yeah. Responded to Pink by saying, no, you're not. Then Tamika went back to Kira's house. So obviously, obviously down in the sheds where he would have had his fucking bong and chop and shit like that. So, you know, they would have sat there and had a couple of cones and shit first. Then when Tamika had returned to the party, apparently Kira had swung a chain at Tamika. Tamika got angry and bashed Kira, hitting her in the head numerous times, causing a concussion. It broke the fight up apparently. Uh, his dad proceeded to say that something else had happened and Kira had kicked them all out of her house, including apparently Bobby, Tamika and apparently congregated to their mother, their mother's house. Most probably wouldn't have been their mother. Most probably wouldn't have been their mother's house. I don't, don't. I think it was know. Bobby's house. Yeah. About an hour or so later, Bobby had apparently taken back to Kira's house and Kira were talking. Apparently Kira said she had consumed medication and that could stay. So Paul had said to Bobby that he could go because was staying at Kira's. Then his dad proceeded to tell me that after Bobby had left at Kira's, had told his dad that he and Kira were talking and then arguing and fighting and that hit Kira and Kira had apparently thrown things at which wouldn't surprise me. She'd probably throw things at him to defend herself. Like He was probably you know, charging at her or something like that, so she would have grabbed something to throw at him to defend herself. Um, then things had calmed down and then Kira had gone to bed, had sex and then went to sleep. He proceeded to tell me that had told him when woke around 7 a.m. Gone, uh, that's on Thursday morning. Had gone outside to have a joint, went back to bed where Kira was still sleeping. When woke in the early afternoon, noticed Kira was still not awake. Had apparently pulled back the sheets that covered Kira and had found that Kira was covered in her own urine and feces. Called his younger brother Nakoda and had asked, what do I do about an overdose? Which strikes me as strange because he knows exactly what to fucking do in a case of an overdose because he's the biggest drug addict I know. He was a speed freak when I fucking met him and I gave him the ultimate. I gave him the ultimatum. It's either that or me. You keep using, get the fuck out of my house, get the fuck out of my life. So Nicola told, apparently Nakota told Paul to try and get Kira to gain consciousness to try and get Kira to possibly drink some water and to put Kira in the shower to clean her off and to possibly help Kira to gain consciousness. Now, I don't think that's something Nakoda would... Well, that is something Nakoda would say, but in all honesty, I think the first thing Nakoda would say is, what the fuck are you calling me for? Which is what he said to me. Because that's... that's Call the ambulance. Exactly. Like, Nakoda's a good kid. He was was a good kid. Tamika was a good kid. They should never have went through what they went through. So this did not work. So Paul apparently called 13 Health, Health, and they had informed Paul to call an ambulance immediately. His dad told me that Paul told him as soon as Paul got off the phone to 13 Health, Paul had called an ambulance. Ambulance had taken Kira to the Gympie Hospital, but was transferred to the Gold Coast Hospital at the university. His dad told me that Paul had told him that they had turned Kira's life support off that morning of our conversation, which was Saturday the 19th of July, 2014. I later found out via the QPS Facebook page that Kira had passed Friday afternoon on the 18th of July, 2014. 
So I called the Gympie Police Station, switchboard put me through to the CIB division and I spoke with the officer in charge of the investigation and told him what I have been told. And, yeah, he asked, because I only had my learners at that stage, he asked if I could get anywhere to make a statement. I... I said, no, I couldn't, but because you know, I could only do it between the hours of school because my kids were going to the school. And um, so he'd organised with a detective at the Coomera Police Station for about two weeks to a month. I was going there nearly every day. I gave... I gave she was a female that I spoke to. I can't remember her name for the life of me. But I gave her all that information that I was given from his dad and that's why you now have this little 13 page literally skim of the iceberg not even the tip of the iceberg summarization because she asked if I could do a brief summary and all the rest of it it's like well (laughs) I can but it doesn't really hit the nail on the head it can if you know the background. But if this was just to be given to a magistrate, they just think I'm just out for blood or something like that. But no, that's not the case. It's fucking plain and simple. I know the evidence is circumstantial and all the rest of it, but... It's, it's as plain as fucking day right there in front of you in black and fucking white. Fuck this fucking grey area. He fucking did it. The evidence is there. That was my conversation with Katie and I'd like to thank her for being brave and willing to come on and tell her story. It's very important that she did. It provided a lot of context and also a bit of background story there for both of them, for Kira and for Jason. Obviously, there's lots to unpack there. A couple of things that stood out to me. The fact that Jason's dad said Kira had taken Jason's tablets, Jason's medication. So is that a slip of the tongue or just a misunderstanding or something more? Also the fact that Jason's dad said he called 13 Health first before being told to call triple zero. That could be something too, right? Obviously, I could dissect this story and talk for hours about it, but I don't need to. You don't need to hear my voice anymore. Katie did a great job of explaining herself, and anyway, it's her story. It's important to remember that there may not be exact dates and times and all that, but it's Katie's recollection of what happened. And on the subject of domestic violence, it's disgraceful how this sort of behaviour exists in our society. Personally, I'm ashamed that it does. We shouldn't allow it. What's wrong with us? Letting this go on under our noses? The sad truth is, we probably all know someone who has been or is in a domestic violence relationship. There are many forms of abuse. These abusers, they're cowards, and it's up to us, the public, the people, to put a stop to it. If this episode has raised any issues for you, please seek help. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, see ya. Got myself a piece of heaven. Bend and Valley Road is a 610 Media production. This episode was written, recorded and produced by myself, Jamie Poltz. It was mixed and mastered by Johnny Powell. Our theme song, Peace of Heaven, is by Pete Allen Music. You can find him on all social medias and download his music wherever you listen. Our cover art photo was taken by Joel Poltz. You can head to our website, www.610mediagroup.com.
facebook.com to look at pictures and read our blogs. Also check us out on social media at Bean and Valley Road for Instagram and Bean and Valley Road for Facebook. And please guys, don't forget, give us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen. It really helps us out. So thanks again for listening guys and stay tuned. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.